the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode of The Situation Report. This is the show where we do our very best three times a week to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. We talk about culture all the time and the things that are happening here in the United States, the, the stuff that we're trying to navigate. Today, our conversation is going to be a little bit different uh, and looking forward to having that. My name is Jeremy Stalnecker here with Chad Robichaud, and it's good for us to be in the same place for the first time in a while. Yes. <laughs> we'll record. We've done, uh, of course, uh, several shows metal. together, but yeah. here being in the same place is awesome. Yeah. Um, and uh, special guest with us today and looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. A little bit different than normal. But uh, super excited about it. I had the opportunity to meet someone I feel like I've known for a long time. Uh, Aziz is with us. If you haven't heard his name, we're going to talk about Aziz uh, and, and a lot of what happened in Afghanistan back in August of last year uh, and what's happened since then. Um, but uh, when I met Chad, uh, I started to hear about Aziz yeah. and the partnership that you guys had in Afghanistan and the work that you, you did together. So I feel like we've known each other for a long time, but uh, we just met uh, today actually in person, which is awesome. Um, but as those of you who have watched the show and listened to the show know, and, and if you haven't even gotten it from this show, you've gotten it. Uh, a lot of things have happened around the world. We like to talk about what's happening culturally here in the United States. But what happens in other places around the world impacts what happens here in the United States. And again, we talk about this a lot. Uh, we live in a global society, whether we like to acknowledge that or not. We fight about it and push back. But we do. What happens in other corners of the world impacts what happens here in the United States. And one of the big issues that we have had to deal with and we, we saw happen and we've been involved in is what happened in Afghanistan. Not for the last 20 years, although we've been involved there, but really what happened as our current administration made some decisions in response to the decision to pull out of Afghanistan and how all that would play out. We've talked about that. Um, but in the process of that, um, an organization was stood up, which we've talked about. And I'm going to have Chad talk about that a little bit more uh, today as well. But all of that being said, and that's a lot of stuff, all that being said, we'll get there. Uh, we know that many, many, many folks, thousands of folks fleeing Afghanistan have had to re relocate around the world. And the big question I think we should be asking ourselves is, and then what? What happened? <laughs> Where are they? How are they uh, transitioning? How are they getting back on their feet? How are they getting their families involved in the various countries around the world where they have found themselves? We want to talk about that a little bit today, so appreciate uh, the opportunity of Aziz to talk about this and, and to chat. I know you have a lot to say on what happened yeah, and kind of the front end of that, so catch us up to date on that, and then uh, I'd love to hear... I've heard the story, but for yeah. those that are listening, your story with uh, Aziz, how you guys have gotten to know each other and developed that relationship. Yeah, was, well, you know, one, you, you said something important that what happens around the world impacts us in America, but also I think what happens in America impacts, impacts the rest of the right. world. Yeah, that's and, right. and that's, and that's uh, you know, that side of it is what ultimately led to Afghanistan and the withdrawal of, of Afghanistan in the people. Yeah. Uh, we yeah. talk about the withdrawal of Afghanistan, but the people, the the real people the, with names and families and faces, like, yeah. 
and humans that uh, were affected by that decision. And um, you know, thousands and thousands of lives were lost and are being lost today. The major oppression, I mean, you, you, like, who needs to leave Afghanistan still? Who's still stuck there? I would say 40 million people uh, that are not the Taliban. I mean, we have maybe 100,000 Taliban. It's going to grow every day now. But, uh, you know, 40 million people are stuck there. 20 million women and little girls are immediately sexual, sexually enslaved uh, to the Taliban and their, and their ideology of, uh, of just oppression and, and control. And so it's a terrible situation. Uh, the way I got involved in it was early on in Afghanistan. You know, I was a Fort Shreecon Marine. Went to a JSOC task force and deployed to Afghanistan eight times in that capacity in JSOC, Joint Special Operations Command Task Force. And during my eight deployments, I had a very unique experience that many service members don't have, is I had the same interpreter for all eight deployments yeah. because I didn't do different deployments. It was really just one mission the whole time. I would just go back and forth. And that interpreter w w was Aziz. Uh, but Aziz you know, quickly became more than an interpreter. He sure. became uh, our friend. And, and then, all, and then uh, he became our teammate, uh, very vetted, um, you know, working at the premier top tier one level uh, special operations unit for over a decade and, uh, and just being uh, vetted to the point to where he could operate with us. And many times it was just Aziz and I going out to you know, Taliban villages or into Pakistan or different parts of uh, Afghanistan and Pakistan to uh, set up operations to put our assaulters on target to capture and kill bad guys and yep. that's what we would do and we'd set up these operations and then make sure they got safely off tar uh, uh, out of there and build all the infrastructure and uh, equipment in place to be able to do those things and that's you know what we did and and uh, when you do something like that together uh, you develop a really yeah. big bond so <clears throat> right. you know I didn't go back to base after I was there I'd go to Aziz lived in my home or I would go to his home and you know, uh, his his son, who's here now, and holding him when he was a yeah. baby. You know, he's 18 yeah. years old now, holding him when he was a baby and eating dinner with their families. And he was at jiu-jitsu with you guys? Was just at jiu-jitsu this week. Yeah. this week of your kids. Yeah, so. yeah they came Turned to jiu-jitsu. Jiu yeah. And it's funny because they've been watching us for years at jiu-jitsu. It's like, can't believe we're really here doing yeah, jiu-jitsu. Right. So it's, it's been a crazy, you know, few weeks with the family. But the relationship that we had through that, you know, it's, it's one that you can't just yeah. walk away from. Yeah, of course. And so when Aziz was done with his operations, we wanted to get him to America because... Yeah. This is what our government promised them. All of our interpreters were promised, like U.S. a pathway to U.S. citizenship in a nine-month process, by the way. It was supposed to be nine months. In 2009, we, the SIV, uh, Special Immigrant Visa process, was told to be nine months, and they, would get a, they were contractually promised a pathway to citizenship. I mean, they've read it. We know who they are. They're loyal to us. What year was that program put in place? 2009. 2009. It's a so, nine-month process in 2009. We're in 2022, right? Right. And so for almost six years, this, this was in this process. And so as we saw the way President Biden announced the withdrawal, uh, I knew that process would not, yeah. it's not going to speed up now. Yeah. It's only going right. to get worse now because right. people are going to panic. Uh, we had to go get him. And uh, so I, uh, I mean, people would ask, why are veterans doing that? It's a cowboy thing. Well, who else is going to do it? The United States military is not allowed to. Uh, who has the experience to do it? The veteran community, particularly uh, in our case, special operations community, uh, people who had not old experience, but still some current experience working for government agencies in precision rescue operations. We put together a really good team of people that I knew had the skill sets and people I could trust. About a dozen of us, uh, 12 of us specifically, yeah, so 12 people. And we uh, put a plan together. And uh, we got a lot of support. Uh, we have obviously a lot of relationships. So we had permissions from the Joint Chiefs 
office. They built the Go in Kabul and uh, the, the HK, HKI Airport, Himi yep. Karzai International Airport. Yep. We uh, we have a good friend uh, of ours, Glenn Beck, uh, who uh, had raised a bunch of money to help with yep. the evacuations and, yep. and ended up allocating over $20 million to us for our flights. Yep. And then we went to the UAE, United Arab Emirates country, uh, and we needed a place to bring these people to because if you don't have visas sure. and you start bringing people out of a country, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's actually called that's not called evacuations; it's called human trafficking. So uh, we didn't want to be different yeah, we didn't want to be human trafficking yeah. people. So we had a relate we did, we went to the we had a relationship with the royal family from one of our team members, Joe Robert, who's a Mighty Oaks yep. alumni, yep. and uh, in his in. Uh, and talk to them, brief them, and, and they agreed to help us and uh, gave us access to the humanitarian center and gave us uh, permission to use two of their C-17 planes with pilots, which is huge planes, military planes, to be able to evacuate people. And so uh, what started off as a mission to go get Aziz right. quickly grew into something else. I remember one of our teammates saying, hey, there's these 3,500 orphans, let's get yeah. them. And, and we're saying, hey, if we get all these resources, things are coming together in a period of about five days, by the way, which right. which right. I believe is, is not my capability. I'm not smart enough to do that or right. capable enough to do that. Yeah. It's a God-ordained sure. thing. God orchestrated these series of events. Uh, we started building infrastructure for organizationally. Yeah. Mighty Oaks initially stood up, worked with the Independence Fund and Sarah Verardo to build this Save Our Allies campaign, which we spun off to be a, its own yeah. independent nonprofit. And so as that launched off to go help all these people, not just Aziz, we got to... Abu Dhabi, set up operations center in UAE at the Abu Dhabi, uh, where the military is there. Put teams in place at Kaya Airport and start sending three-man teams outside the wire to get vetted, very important to say, vetted individuals yeah. using a bona fides process to validate that's who yeah. we're getting and get them back into the airport, manifest it, approved manifest by yeah. our government and not, not just random people who stepped on a plane and flown to the humanitarian center Abu Dhabi. I think it's important to say because we had got a lot of heat being like yeah. a bunch of veterans going yeah. out there just uh, just, just grabbing people, grabbing people put yeah. on planes and first of all like if you just stop and pause in that moment uh, that thought for a second that's not even possible. Right. Right? Like you can't just go think about you're just going to go get a plane fly in that country and start putting people on right. and fly them in another country. There's well, immigration processes right the, there's customs. The airport was controlled by the United States government. Right. So I think people miss that too. They think you set up an airfield somewhere and yeah. got people on buses. And yeah. it was actually there was a control yeah. point controlled by yeah. I think you know an army command at the time. Yeah, if you think you could do that without any kind of permissions, right. you're just right. It's not even worth having a conversation because <laughs> that's, that's an ignorant <laughs> right. thought. Right. Like, so we had a lot of permissions, a lot of checks and balances, and but we were we were given those permissions. We were trusted, and we did a good thing. We were given our own ramp, uh, you know, our own manifesting, and and we got. Yeah. But we were we, we were a lot dealing with a lot more stringent uh, criteria than the United States military, who are able to just put people in a plane and and take them filling uh, seats. Filling seats. Yeah. We couldn't do that. Right. And uh, so everybody we we brought went to the humanitarian center. That first day, that first group was Aziz, his family, and about 180 80 other people. Uh, and then the next day was 800 or so. The next day was a thousand. And then honestly, after that, it became a blur because we just. Yeah. We're hustling so fast. Every hour we'd stop and sleep with people, you know, lives at stake. So we just went. We didn't know how much time we had. And in about ten days, we got twelve thousand people. And then, uh, and then, when the United States military left after the Abbey Gate was blown up, they pretty much ceased uh, letting people in. Yeah. We we knew as a group we couldn't leave because we knew there were still Americans there, yeah. interpreters, yeah. our families, vulnerable people, women and children. And, you know, for us, it's like a. You, you kind of know too much 
to walk sure, away. Yeah, sure. And uh, the news is saying one thing, but you know what reality sure. is. I think. I think the news is saying 100 people. The White House is saying 100 people. Americans left there, uh, and, and, and we're saying yeah. it's probably thousands. Yeah. And uh, but the truth is, none of that matters. If there were one, sure. we would have been willing to stay there because we don't leave Americans behind. And, uh, and, and our interpreters and their yeah. families were, who had served by us for 20 years, we owed them uh, the, the ability to, be able to evacuate them. And so we chose to stay, and we stayed, uh, started flying people out of a place called Maza Sharif, flew another 5,000 people out, and then uh, myself and a, another Marine uh, went into a, a border area of Tajikistan, Afghanistan, on the border, and, and spent uh, 10 days on about 90 miles of border building routes out for people to pass that information so people could cross the Panjshir River and, and get across that river to self-evacuate yep. and uh, just knowing safely where they could cross, where, where was the Taliban, where were the Chinese, where were the Russians, where were the parts of the river that they would get to and not be able to cross. So provide that information to them. So we continued on and ultimately, again, got 17,000 people out physically, and then who knows how many people got out yep. uh, through our support we did. But uh, it all began... Uh, with disease, yeah, and uh, and uh, and and he went to the humanitarian center, and him and his wife and six kids, uh, you know, spent eight months there. I got to see them there. Uh, our reuniting was there, and I remember seeing him the first time and just hugging him, and yeah. his kids coming up and calling me Uncle Chad, which made me cry, makes me cry, <laughs> and and uh, and and, uh, and then we continued, but eight for eight months they've been, and then many yeah. are, are still there, thousands yeah. are still there because our state department has not moved them on. And uh, Aziz is one of the lucky ones. We know a lot of people. Yeah. We're able to pull the right strings. And uh, eight, it took, even with that, it took eight months to get him here. And now for three weeks now, he's been in America. Uh, you know, for those who follow Mighty Oaks, he's our newest employee. He's our cultural advisor <laughs> in our international, inter- international division, which you'll hear more about here soon. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's been great to have him here. Uh, and it's been, gr- it's, it's been even, it's been great to have him here. It's very surreal for me. Sure. Uh, uh, but it's 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 also been great to see how Americans have responded. Uh, we're in Texas, and they welcome him, welcoming yeah. him as an American, yeah. as a Texan, yeah. thanking him for thanking their, you know people are thanking him for his service right. to America, right. and uh, in the outpouring of support, my garage right now is full, literally full of Amazon registry stuff. Yeah. For their home that we're gonna, you know, we're trying to move them into. They're in an Airbnb right now. We're gonna move them in a home here in a week or two, and uh, and you know, luckily there'll be less things they have mm-hmm. to buy because so many generous people are yeah. are helping support them. But that's not the case for everyone. It's not the know. case for everyone. Um. Mike Lindell has a passion to help everyone get the best sleep of their lives. He created the Giza Dream bed sheets. They look and feel great, which means an even better night's sleep for you and me. Mike found the world's best cotton called Giza. Mike's latest incredible deal is the sale of the year. Sale of the year. That means it's not going to happen again. This is the sale of the year. What is it? For a limited time, you will receive 60% off the Giza Dream Sheets that comes with a 60-day money-back guarantee and a 10-year warranty. You will receive a set for as low as $39.99. For a limited time, with any purchase, you will receive Mike's soft cover book free when you use promo code SITREP. Go to MyPillow.com and click on the radio listener square and use promo code SITREP. Along with this offer, you will also get deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the MyPillow mattress topper, MyPillow towel sets, and so much more. For those of you that would rather use the phone, and some of you are out there, you know who you are, call 1-800-870-0283, use the promo code SITREP, or MyPillow.com and use the promo code SITREP. 
so those thousands of folks ended up somewhere around the world. I want to talk about that, but before we can talk about that, or before we talk about that, I would love, Aziz, for you to just give us some perspective on your involvement with the United States military and what happened in Afghanistan. Because, I mean, this is something I don't think anyone really talks about, is how does a guy who has a family in Afghanistan connect with the United States military and start to translate? How, how did you How did you get involved in that? And then... I, yeah. I'm not asking for the top secret way that you got involved in or how you recruited, but but what what caused you to go? This is something I want to get behind. How did you get involved? Well, I'm in all this? a kid, right? Like, yes, yeah. 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 Well, uh, it's not enough to just say thank you. Uh, it's above and beyond what you did for me and for all the uh, Afghan uh, Afghans, the interpreters and the colleagues that work for the United States government or on behalf of them. Um, I'm totally speechless about that. Uh, honestly, uh, the, what really motivated me to get involved with all this uh, in Afghanistan and work uh, with the United States uh, Army and for the government yeah. was because uh, whatever they were doing is, uh, they were doing was, it was really uh, benefiting Afghanistan in long term and short term. Uh, uh, that really motivated me because uh, we have been... Uh, really backwarded country and uh, our neighbors were not really good neighbors and we have been all, always uh, in problems from the neighbors so I took it as an opportunity mm. to work for democracy freedom of speech which I uh, trust and believe and uh, that really encouraged me and yeah. I was eager to work for that uh, while doing that uh, I engaged lots of uh, risks uh, lots of dangers for me and my family, yep. especially in 2007, we have a Black Friday. <laughs> then um, uh, my parents told me that I have to get separated from them because uh, if I continue doing the same thing, I was putting uh, their lives in danger. So I continued uh, doing the same business, but I had to get separated from my parents and brothers. Uh, I totally moved to another different district. I continued up to mid-2015. Uh, mm. uh, and then uh, all of a sudden, you know, they shut down everything mm. and they left and they're like, thank you very much for the service. <laughs> uh, here is the bonus. See you later. Yeah. These are the documents. Apply for the SIV. And SIV, as you, uh, Chad mentioned, it's a slow process uh, through the USCIS. Uh, I applied in uh, mid-2015, yet I'm waiting to receive my CALM approval. If it was not about him and his mm. teammate, uh, I would be uh, dead by now. Yeah. So a lot of the interpreters, a lot of the folks who worked with the military, so I was in Iraq and I didn't go to Afghanistan, but we had these incredible interpreters that were attached to us in Iraq. And, and these guys came from farms and very yeah. small communities. And they're putting, they are, as you mentioned, they're putting their families at risk. They're putting their own lives at risk. Is, is that the same and again, this is really important because people don't get a hold of this, right? Like, who are all these people? Is that the same for everyone? That I'd say where it came from for you. Like, when you started speaking English, like, as a kid, like, about, like, having to, having to leave the country once before. Right. Like, how did it start for you? Like, when you started learning English and why did well, you start learning English? Actually, um, uh, my parents really motivated me when I was uh, really young to learn English. Yeah. Because there was a say that uh, the pipeline will come from Turkmenistan to Afghanistan. Mm -hmm. It will connect Pakistan, India, and the region. And they will need people who can speak English. English yeah. So that was uh, the main concept behind that. And I was really uh, supported and motivated through my parents. 
And then I got this interest in this and I uh, kind of uh, learned the English by self-learning. I bought me some books and I was learning my daily vocabulary slowly. Then how, I, uh, how old? How old? Uh, I was around uh, my 14 or 15 wow. years old. And then uh, people who are born here that don't speak yeah. English. That, that then part, I noticed yeah. that uh, <laughs> not only by learning I will improve, uh, but I have to start teaching because there were some other guys when I was speaking English. Yeah. They were like, what language is this? And they yeah. asked me yeah. to teach them. Then I started it um, uh, from my house. I started like with six uh, neighbors and then we grew up uh, all the way like to 800 students. It was not only me, but, uh, you know, I trained some other guys that they can teach the beginner, the intermediate, and then the advanced classes I was uh, teaching. So uh, we uh, uh, developed, and I made my uh, own uh, private uh, English course. Wow. Then, uh, as in, a teenager. As yeah, a teenager, wow. yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then in uh, 19, it was, I think, uh, by the end of uh, 1999, that at that time the Taliban were also in power mm. in Afghanistan, their mm. first time. Uh, every prayer times, there is a group of Taliban, uh, the vice and virtue. They were coming by the businesses, the shops, and every uh, area that uh, the people were doing businesses. And they were uh, pushing the people to go to the mosque by the prayer times. It was the afternoon uh, prayer time that I was continuing with the class, the English class, mm. because my student wanted me. And they're like, just uh, push the curtain and keep the yeah. door closed, pretend that we are not here. But unfortunately, uh, the Taliban guys, the vice virtue, they saw and they came. They hit me with the cable. Uh, I was young and strong and I was boxing. So it's <laughs> the second floor. I punched this guy in the face and his blood <laughs> nose becomes <laughs> bleeding. And I jumped from the second floor. And then uh, 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 the next morning, I had to run away to Pakistan and then from Pakistan wow. to Iran, from Iran through the Gulf waters to Oman. From Oman, I came to Dubai. And I worked as a housewife for a Christian family, like for almost a, a year until the United States uh, military came physically, got involved in Afghanistan. Then I had wow. to tell my story to you, yeah. immigration, and then they made all my documents. Mm. And they were really interested uh, to work for them because they actually got a lot of information mm. through me. Uh, that how I got uh, to UAE from <laughs> Afghanistan without yeah. a visa, without a passport. <laughs> right, right. Because I explained step by step. I give them all the information. You're an immigration risk yeah. for sure. Yeah. I just they wanted to be an informant. Yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> right. So, but then I noticed that then they were going to use me against the poor people because all, all those people <clears throat> that they fled the country, they yeah. were doing the labor job yeah. outside and they wanted me to show, point out those guys and I didn't like the idea. I told them, okay, I will work for you guys, but please send me home first. Mm. Then I will come back with my passport and visa and everything. So they give me this information. I came back to Afghanistan. When I came, I started it, uh, my first job at Kabul Military Training Center with the U.S. Special Forces. Mm. Uh, they took the test. I mean, they give me a test of uh, speaking written English, and uh, which most of the terms were military terms. Yeah. I was not um, familiar with, sure. with those. Right. So. Sure. Uh, but uh, luckily I passed. So uh, I continued like one year over there. After one year, uh, based on my talent and my loyalty, they introduced mm -hmm. me to U.S. Embassy, the Regional Security Office, mm -hmm. and then working uh, on a special project, the anti-terrorism assistance, for one year. Then uh, they introduced anti me to... Anti-terrorism? <laughs> yeah. Anti-terrorism. Anti-terrorism. Anti yeah, anti-terrorism. Anti yeah, anti yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah. Then after working over there one year, um, uh, I was introduced to uh, yeah. Chad's uh, team. And is is that story? Is your story similar for a lot of the other interpreters and folks who were involved with the military? Uh, it's similar, but actually, uh, not all the um, interpreters did not receive the same treat and the same support and help. Because uh, working for the army, that was one challenge and risk. Yeah. And then uh, the evacuation, that's another challenge. And then coming to United States, that's, this is totally another uh, challenge and difficulties in the lives. It's not the, the way that people look at from the back, you know, from the back of the scene. When they physically come to United States, now the interpreters, uh, most of them, like me, they, they cannot locate their advisors. Yeah. Uh, when I couldn't do it in the past, like uh, the, you have to have a letter from a three-star general yeah, to recommend right. you for the right. SIV program. Uh, they are only paroled, paroled for two years and they are only given like a very limited service for yeah. three months from the government, like um, uh, welcome money and uh, food stamp and stuff. And then after that, they are by their own, which is really challenging and really difficult. And I hope that uh, the um, uh, people in the high rank uh, of the government, they really take care of uh, these yeah. problems. Uh, the Afghans who have came here, uh, I see them that they are having difficulties finding jobs. They are having difficulties uh, um, uh, uh, finding them shelters because they do not have the credit and uh, they don't have the right documents yet. Uh, they are only issued like a humanitarian parole visa mm -hmm. for two years. Mm -hmm. And then uh, they are also uh, introduced a caseworker. Most of the time, those caseworkers are not uh, really answering the phone. They're not available to help them. So there is all kinds of challenges. A lot of challenges. Yes. How many, um, how many Afghan refugees are here in the United States after all this? Over 100,000. Over 100,000, yeah. And, and like, and so where, where, where are they living? Where are they staying right now when they came back when they came back you know they went to different bases around the country and then uh and then those places were shut down and they were given like as he said like a very minimal amount of money like you know what thousand fifteen hundred dollars a person uh and then and then three months of support yeah. and then they're i mean you got to think as speaks good english he has lots of friends and connections if you're going to another country the only thing you own is a backpack that you evacuated with you don't speak the language you have no credit you can't get, I mean, he would not be able to get a house or apartment yeah. without us being able yeah. to help him. Yeah. Uh, how do you get a, a place to, apartment? It's, it's hard enough to find housing here in the United States right now. That's a housing crisis, uh, in, unless you want to live in a major city. Yeah. And so they're being or forced. Or Nebraska. To, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you've been forced to, you've been, they've been forced to live in these cities, uh, work, work uh, you know, probably horrible jobs if they could find one. And uh, it's just going to be a, a catastrophe. I mean, it's it's set up to be a catastrophe. There's no there's no system or plan in place to help these hundred thousand uh, people that that have been brought here. And uh, you know, I, again, we're thankful for the support of these is getting, but we know that's not the case that's for most thousands, for most people. Um, and, uh, and it's a tragedy. I mean, uh, one, you know, we can't we shouldn't have the mentality like, well, hey, they're not in Kabul anymore. They're not in Afghanistan yeah, right, anymore. So right. they should be thankful. Right. That's not the right. I mean, yeah. You know, yeah, if you can't take care of your family or yeah, yourself, it doesn't matter where you are. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you could do the right thing, yeah. do the right thing. We did the wrong thing, uh, okay. by the way, we left Afghanistan. But helping some people get out yeah. in the individual basis, that was the right thing. But don't stop 10% of the way into it. 
help these people get resettled and, and reacclimated. They're in a new country. Uh, get them English training. Uh, you know, get the, you know, let's pay let's pay for their their, their uh, you know our government pays for a lot of silly things. Yeah. Uh, and 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 spends a, <laughs> a billions, yeah. waste billions and billions of dollars. Can we get some? Can we get them some English training? Can we get them some job training? Uh, what I have seen about Afghans, uh, particularly like guys like Aziz, is entrepreneurial spirit and hard workers. I mean, you think about what Aziz just said. He 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 was running. He was teaching as a teenager, yeah, right. self-taught right. to eight, teach eight hundred people. Fled the country yep. after the, his his uh, encounter with the Taliban. Comes back, goes work for the U.S. Special Forces, goes work for our U.S. State Department. In anti-terrorism, and then after that comes over the work at the premier special operations unit in, in the world for ten years. Uh, he's a motivated individual. Yep. He's always yep. working to achieve uh, a lot of our, my personalities uh, as these has, and I've seen that in so many Afghans. They're just entrepreneurial people, uh, hardworking people. You see that from people from that part of the world quite often, and so I think they could be a, a contribution to America uh, if. We could help them, yeah. right? Uh, this is not a this is not a social dependency thing. They're not just looking for a handout and, uh, and and looking to live off you know welfare for the rest of life. What they're looking for is just to be empowered, yeah. to be taught, to be be integrated. And, and that's this what is, I think we owe that. This is happening around the world, though, right? I all mean, not all of it's not just all America. the Afghan yeah. refugees have ended up in the United States. What are other countries doing to deal with? this i mean i'm sure that the problem is the same hey every, every country is a little different uh, i don't know if you can speak to it what i've seen every country has handled it a little bit different uh, albania yeah. to me albania has been the uh kind of one of the best examples so what so, have they done that makes it a best example well the 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 country uh, itself has went to like places that have camps and retreat centers they give a good transition home so they're actually not being for they not they have like a year to be able to stay in this transition home. And there, at the transition home, there's education and training and reintegration training, like how to speak uh, the language and how to be prepared for a job. And so they're not just, uh, when, they come, when they come to America, for example, they land, they're put in a ghetto, of, yeah. the ghettos of our cities, literally the ghettos of our cities. Like when he landed in Houston, I told Will, our, my chief of staff, do not let them take him. Yeah. Because I didn't feel safe for him and his wife and kids to stay one night in the area of Houston that they're bringing them to. Intercept them, and uh, and tell them we have him. We're hiring him. He's gonna work for us, and we did. Uh, but they're going in like like places that I won't drive. Yeah, <laughs> and, right. I mean, I, I, and, I, yeah. and I was in Ukraine two right. weeks ago right. in Kiev yeah. where they're bombing people. I feel safer there than driving yeah. to parts of Houston yeah. where they were gonna send him. Sure. And uh, yeah. so this is where they're going. And then they don't speak the language. Yeah. They have to fend for themselves for groceries. The caseworkers just can answer the phone every third or fourth day. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we're doing in America, and they're going to get like three months of support, and then they're going to be on their own. But places like Albania, they're you know, have a camp where they can be there for a year, and, and they're in that year they're going to be provided for and then trained of how to reintegrate. Uh, reintegration is important if you were going to go to another country and yeah. and not know anything or not know anyone. Yeah. Uh, I mean. Yeah. What's the on ramp? Yeah. What's yeah, the on ramp? It's yeah. integration, really. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. It's yeah, not reintegration. reintegration. It's, yeah. it's integration. Yeah. It's getting connected. Yeah. Um, and so, it's interesting because in the United States we understand immigration. Um, and we have a huge immigration, uh, I'll say, problem, mm -hmm. you know, on our borders where we allow so many people to come into the country with, with very little vetting, but then support them on the other side of that, we right? Don't. We don't. We, I mean, many of the, the ones who are coming across the border illegally, we do. Right. But not people who have given their lives to the United States government right. and to the cause of, of freedom and democracy. Yeah. Um, 
if you could prescribe, uh, yeah, maybe it's easy, if you could prescribe, this is what would be the ideal situation for these families right now. What, what would that be? What would you like to see done to help these families? Well, actually, um, uh, in addition to what uh, Chad said, uh, I would like to add something uh, that uh, all these Afghans, when they come here, they do not speak English, especially uh, the people who were trained by the CIA uh, to counter terrorism. Uh, they only speak uh, Afghan languages. They are brought and left here and, uh, you know, only help for a temporary time. I'm thinking if the government, um, you know, come up with a plan, like at least for one or two years of help and support uh, yeah. uh, for these guys, especially for the uh, integrating them with the communities, the culture, and then uh, finding them the jobs mm. and uh, English learning yep. courses uh, and uh, the Medicaid, of course, which is really expensive in the United States. Uh, so uh, there is uh, much uh, more the, that the United States government can do for these people. Um, uh, same like the United States citizens, they should have the rights, yeah. the same rights as the United States uh, citizens, yeah. because they lost everything. Right. They lost their uh, earnings, uh, you know, their uh, parents, relatives, friends, everything. They are just by themselves. Uh, most of them are uh, doing uh, these uh, hourly working in restaurants, but still they get this um, attitudes and this bad behavior. Like it's like a cross culture in some part of the United States. Uh, most some people think that all Afghans are terrorists. <laughs> so, <laughs> right. uh, so uh, I'm thinking that uh, it will be um, really helpful that if uh, they come up with like a um, uh, longer program, yeah. help and support for these guys will be much... And, uh, and training and teaching. Yes. Yeah, so the defense of the government would be like, we put millions of dollars in this, right? So they have this thing called Welcome US, uh, welcome.us. Uh, you can look it up. And uh, I was excited about it when it first came out because I, I think it was $67 million went into it. And then uh, and it was going to be all these grants and stuff. And then, and then I seen the board of directors uh, come out, which was the Clintons and the Obamas. And uh, and I was a little disheartened, sure. <laughs> maybe a lot. Sure. And sure. Uh, and and so what's happened with this is all this money goes to these resettlement agencies, right? Yeah. Uh, and so all these resettlement agencies bid on government contracts, and they get this, they got access to this money to resettle people. And uh, but it's a it's a racket. I mean, they could go in and literally take this all this money, and they could they only have to give a very small percentage to the Afghan family. Whatever the and, the, and the and that company could profit yeah. off the rest, yeah. and so all these companies came in and are just making millions and millions of and dollars. Clinton's involved in that. Off of, yeah, that's surprising. Yeah, yeah. yeah. kind of like a Haiti, maybe a Haiti, <laughs> Haiti part, right. you know, two point oh. Sure. But I mean, um, so yeah, so you know, it, it's a typical government. Somebody slotting something in a bill, yeah. creating a lot of money for a lot of people to make money. Yeah. A lot of people <laughs> in Washington D.C. to make money. A lot of people who have friends in Washington, D.C. to make money. But ultimately, what the bill was meant for, where the money's intended to go, never gets there. Well, and that's, and I, I think that was the genesis, that kind of ideology is the genesis of the rescue effort, right? It was, well, the government is not going to handle this well. Right. So it needs to be private people, private citizens mm -hmm. who, who, who do this. And that needs to be, I, I think ultimately, yeah. that's probably what is going to be required to get, well, you know, Afghan families... It's what's happening on with track, him on, right. a, on, a, on an individual basis. He, he I, I told him, I mean, he, he had a place to go. The government, yep. the government, the government, right. uh, in, in, in defense of them, they had a system in place. He came here. Yeah. They, set, they set him up in a re, resettlement organization. 
they were going to pick him up at the airport. <clears throat> they were going to put him in a hotel, and and he would have and he would have got fifteen hundred dollars a month, yeah. and some food stamps, and uh, and and me as individuals said, no, yeah, that's right. not suffice. Sure. I'm not going to let you go stay in the ghetto where your wife and children are yeah. probably going to be shot because they don't speak. Can't communicate <laughs> right. with uh, right. with yeah. some gangsters in, in in this area, and uh, or know how to go get groceries, or not be able to get yeah. a hold of a caseworker. That's not yeah. okay. And so we stepped in uh, as individuals, just like yeah. we had to do in the evacuations. We brought them. We got them a nice Airbnb. Yeah. Uh, we rented a van to be able to take them around, and we brought them in front of several churches right. to be able to uh, tell their story. And those people from those churches yeah. and from those communities came behind them and supporting this family. And there's a lot of, I, you know, I've had a lot of people reach out to me uh, going through the same process, a lot of Afghan, and, uh, and I'm like able to line up a job for them, but they're like, well, the government says I have to go to, yeah. to Las Vegas because they have that many slots in Las Vegas. And so they can stick them in a hotel in Las Vegas, give them government benefits, but there's no job there for them. Right. And so, you know, I'm, I'm encouraging some of the Afghans like, hey, those benefits may seem like a lot, yeah. go but they're not, thing. they're yeah. not. Go do your own thing. Get yeah. with the community, and communities could help a lot more. Yeah. And it's just a shame. It's just waste, waste of uh, taxpayer funds right. to go into this system that's not helpful at all. Yeah. Uh, it, it was set up to do the right thing, but people always, like in our government, take advantage of it and making money off of it, making money off of these people uh, yeah. uh, instead of helping. Well, and it's the community. So you, you know this, but I pastored a church in the city of Fremont, California. So it's, it's southeast of uh, San Francisco. Fremont, California, a lot of people don't know this, largest Afghan population in the United States, largest Afghan population in the world outside of Afghanistan is in Fremont, California. Yes. I don't know if you knew that or not. Mm-hmm. So huge Afghan population because in the 80s when Russia went into Afghanistan, a lot of refugees, they were settled in Fremont, California. And so one of the strongest segments of that city, and again, I pastored there, I lived there, one of the strongest parts of that city is the Afghan community that's there. And, you know, asking a lot of questions about how that happened and, and why it happened, it was the city of Fremont back in the mid-'80s that said these refugees are here, and we as a city, we as a community need to take the responsibility to bring them into our community and, and set them up to give them what they need. And it's, it's restaurants, it's stores, it's, now it's, you know, it's been 30 years, so it's, it's everything. Why aren't more communities doing that? Why aren't cities like Houston going, this is our responsibility now, mm-hmm. or smaller communities saying, this is our responsibility now. Why is that not happening? Exactly. Well, you know, one, I think it, it, has been undone, it has been done in some places, so I don't want to discredit those who aren't doing it because it, it is being some done. Are some, doing it. some are doing it. Uh, I think, but at, in large, why it's not is because we have become, as a culture in America, this was in the 80s in Fremont, right? Yeah. A lot's changed in a our country yeah, in, in, in the last 40 years yeah, to where we, as a culture... Or starting to lean and depend more and more on our government, saying, "Well, the government has this." Right. And, uh, and right. you know, in the '80s, we didn't believe the government would have it, it and it the was government churches. didn't have I, it. I yeah. know pastors in Fremont who said, "Well, these refugees showed up, and as churches, we got together and said, we need to do something to take care of them.'" Yeah. But that—that's what's changed, is what you're saying. Yeah, I think yeah. you know, culture in America changed, and the government dependence has changed, yeah. and uh, you know, there's this push. Obviously, we see this push towards socialism in America, which is. Terribly dangerous, and this is an example of why it's dangerous. Mm-hmm. Because now you can depend on the government yeah. to do something that the people and the communities should be doing, and uh, and uh, and ultimately, government never does it well. Yeah. Uh, but yet, 
through our voting, mm. we're voting to give them the power to do that. And now we're giving them our money uh, through increased taxation yeah. to do that, and they can't do it well. Where if we were voting uh, more conservatively, we could be keeping that money to ourselves and making better use of it instead of right. trusting our government with it. Because yeah. right. it always ends up in somebody's pocket. Yeah, so, and I think in all this... I think somebody calls, says taxation is theft. I've heard that before. Taxation is theft. <laughs> See the shirt. I think Michael has that shirt on right now. <laughs> yeah, I, might, I might own that shirt, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and that is, whether taxation is theft or not, and I think it, it, it probably is, it gets back to personal responsibility and community responsibility and communities caring for each yes. other. Here, here's, here's kind of my last question then. What happens to uh, Afghan refugees... If the government and cities just go, this isn't our responsibility. Are Afghan communities that are already here going to help them? Uh, we hear a lot about people talking about radicalization. Well, they'll become so frustrated that they'll connect to whatever local terrorist, <laughs> you know, organizations. Is that what happens, or I mean, what what happens? Do they become homeless? <laughs> yeah, actually. Um, uh, Everyone is overwhelmed with all the flu of the migrants uh, from many different countries and uh, lately Afghanistan. If uh, the government or the community stop um, yep. help and support, I mean, uh, they will be totally homeless. There, there, yeah. there will be no other uh, secondary option for them. Because uh, even the Afghans, I see some of the Afghans, they're not... Uh, Giving themselves this permission to help the new uh, flu, the, the new uh, flu of the migrants They're in the United not. States, because they think that you know uh, they have this uh, thinking that Afghans are problem makers. They might have connections with some bad guys, yeah. or you know, then they will get in trouble with them. So there is always uh, this uh, chances of um, you know leaving them alone. Uh, they will be uh, totally in uh, homeless, uh, yeah. helpless. Yeah. And uh, engage and confront it with lots of uh, anxiety, frustration, nervousness in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got to do something. Communities need to do something. Yeah. People need to take responsibility for it. I think churches are a big part of that. And and um, I, I know Woods Edge, yeah. your church, has done a lot to support Grace Community, Grace community, Grace community and, yeah. and other churches that have taken on that responsibility. Yeah. And that just has to be the answer. And, and pushing back and saying, well, the government is not going to do this well. They're not going so to. we need to and, do it. And, and, you know, we're talking about it right now, but no one's talking about it. And, right. uh, and you know, that's not by accident. Right. I mean, it's it's been pushed out of the news cycle intentionally. And, uh, you know, the, the, but again, in, in our country, yeah. our new people, hundred over 100,000 here, uh, how, are we, how are we as a nation welcoming them? Uh, you know. Yeah, not well. Not well. And and I think for some people, they, they do come to that conclusion, well, my tax dollars have been used <laughs> however they've been used. Mm -hmm. And so I've, I've given, I gave it the office, right? My, yeah. my money's been taken from me. This problem has been dealt with with my money. I don't now have a responsibility. But very pragmatically, it's a human problem. So as humans, we should care about other people. As Christians, we should cer certainly care about other people. But very pragmatically, as people who live in communities and want to live in communities with good citizens, <laughs> yeah. we should help other people learn, integrate, and um, you know, get involved in what we're doing. And I think one of the interesting things to watch with the Afghan vets, I say the Afghan, Afghan vets who are coming here right now, is they really want to integrate into our society. They do, yeah. Th this is not a desire to go and create you know, something over here. Hmm. 
they, they, the ones that I've met, have been very interested in being involved in what we're doing. So let's help them get there. Yeah, this in uh, Dearborn, Michigan, or, or where? Where's a uh, Ilhan Omar? Right, right uh, sure. Trying to create the little, the, the you know, right. mini Somalia. They're right. they want to integrate. They're not wanting to create their own community. Yeah. Why would you want a mini Somalia? That's crazy. Yeah, right. You left it. Right. You left it for a reason. I mean, the real one is bad enough. Why would <laughs> yeah. You want it? Yeah, very good. Well, Z's, I, I really appreciate your time, man, and thanks for coming and hanging out with us. Um, You're welcome. Looking forward to seeing what will happen. I love seeing that picture of your kids uh, training. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I sat and looked at it for a little while and just thought, man. They look um, like they belong there, right? They look like they belong there, first yeah. of all. That's Houston, so. But what a blessing, and it's yeah. going to be amazing to see what, what God will do in their lives in, in the coming days. Mm-hmm. And uh we should continue to pray for for others who are struggling, trying to figure this out, and yep. and support and help where we can. Yep. So appreciate it. Yep. Thank you. It's fun to do this um, in person. Yeah. Yeah. It's a nice change for us. Yeah. For those of you that are watching, uh, thank you for watching. If you're listening and have not yet subscribed, the most important thing you can do right now is subscribe. You're listening somewhere, wherever it is you're listening from, your favorite podcast platform. Make sure you are subscribed. That lets you know when this and other content comes online. And I want to make sure that you have that. If you'd like to watch this content, uh, our archive of episodes, you can find it on YouTube. Go to YouTube, search for The Situation Report, The Situation Report. You'll find it there. And uh, you can like, subscribe, of course, comment, and push out uh, these episodes. Episodes like this uh, are interesting, I hope. But but more than that, people need to hear this message, as Chad mentioned. People just aren't talking about this. It's important that people are talking about it. Uh, I was at a conference this week where there were a lot of broadcasters and we were talking about what we do and a lot of people were asking why you guys do that type of show. Um, You could have an entertaining show, you could do a lot of other things, why that type of show? Because we're living in a cultural moment where people need to understand what's going on (laughs) and then more than that, know what to do about it. And I think that's what we like to talk about is entertainment's fun, but what do we do about it? And that's where we live right now. This type of content you can share out with people in your life that need to know what to do about it. And uh, hopefully that will be a help to them. Thank you again for watching. Thank you for listening. We will talk to you next time. Many of our veterans feel they need to fight their battles alone. This self-isolation has led to the staggering statistic of more than 20 veterans taking their lives every day. The mission of Mighty Oaks is to eradicate the veteran suicide epidemic and help our warriors change their legacies. We've been able to help over 4,000 veterans and first responders by equipping them with the tools they need to live the lives they were created to live. Our faith-based, peer-to-peer approach has one of the highest success rates of any program available today, offering hope and understanding to those who need it most. By aligning their lives to biblical principles, these men and women are able to lead their families, their communities, and our nation. It's your generosity that can make a difference in the lives of the men and women who have fought for our country and our freedoms. Now that they're home, don't let them fight alone. Learn more at MightyOaksPrograms.org. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. And I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.